0: Um, Where is God when the nations rage? Where is God when life ends too soon, when a pandemic persists? Where is God when a grocery store serving a primarily black neighborhood is attacked, a church service interrupted with gunfire? When a superpower attacks a smaller nation like Ukraine, when there are protests in the streets, begging for the protection of the ability to take the life of the unborn, and politics are corrupt, greed abounds, and prices soar, where's God? Today, we're starting a new book, the book of Habakkuk, um, in which Habakkuk dares to ask God hard questions like these. Um, If you're a person who's here today struggling with your faith in light of the evil and pain and brokenness in this world, then this book is quite literally for you. Um, If you sometimes doubt who God is, what he is doing or what he's done, this is a great book for you. Um, If you need to know that God hears you, Um, If you need to know that God even wants you to ask hard questions like these, then this is a book for you. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 starts like this The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflicts escalate. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges, for the wicked restrict the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. We're going to spend three weeks working through this book. Um, and i got to be honest with you, this book is a hard book. Uh, this book, if we read it, if we truly understand it, if we truly try and get into it, it is a difficult book. Uh, there are parts of it that I think, for me, even as I read the tone of the prophet Habakkuk, are, are almost offensive to me. He speaks to God in a way. He says things to God that are hard to hear, to understand. God's answers, especially in this first chapter, are sometimes really, really unsatisfying. But I I think this book is a book that we desperately need. I'm thankful that this book is how we will uh, close out spring, heading into summer. We'll then start a a long series through the book of Ephesians that will carry us all the way to next fall. But but I am really excited to jump into this for three weeks and try and just say, what do we do as, as a people of God? What do we do as the church? What does River City do when it is really hard to believe? When it is really, really hard to trust. Uh, the background of this book is this. We're we are in the time in the history of uh, God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, which is known as the Divided Kingdom. You see, uh, Israel had split into a northern and southern kingdom, uh, literally uh, with a fault line. You can see it on this map here, uh, dividing God's people in the south, or Judah, and God's people in the north, Israel. Uh, uh, throughout this time, this was a time that because of the, the disunification of the people of Israel, because of of uh, split and different leadership in the southern and northern kingdom where just lots of of evil was persisting uh, and where the people of God were at constant threat. In fact, uh, as Habakkuk writes this book, he, he is writing about uh, events in the southern kingdom and what he's experiencing there. Uh, the northern kingdom has already been thrown into upheaval, um, overtaken by the Assyrians, the people exploited and exiled from the land that God had promised their people. Habakkuk writes this uh, in the time, uh, likely somewhere between uh, the late, like, 580s B.C. and and early 700s, most likely kind of right in the middle of that, in the 600 B.C. time frame, uh, in the time of the King Jehoiakim. Uh, This was a king, if you were to flip to the book of Kings or Chronicles and read about his time, uh, very short words about him would appear, but very condemning words, that he was a king who did evil in the sight of God. Uh, Where his father had sought to reinstitute the law of God, God, to point people to God's word in the Torah, those first five books of your Bible that you have here with you today, Jehoiakim came in and undid it all. Instead, pointing his people to idolatry, allowing violence to persist in the land. And that's the time that we find ourselves in as Habakkuk comes before God to ask these questions. I'm going to say Habakkuk. I'm preaching all three weeks of this, and that's how we're going to say it. Okay. I don't like to lead with a firm hand very often, but this one's tricky for me. Okay. You can say Habakkuk. You can say Habi. That's what I've been calling him in my notes. Uh, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it, okay? Okay. He comes to God and he brings up three things. Uh, First, he says this, uh, my, "'My people are facing injustice and violence.'" He's saying that in the land, in Israel, as a result of the lawlessness, as a result of people walking away from the Torah, from God's law for his people Israel, a massive injustice had taken place. You see, for God's people, they were a very different people and place than we are today as the people of God spread across different nations, because the people of Israel were set up in a literal theocracy, where their religion, their belief in God was also the Law of the land, that they were given instructions, not just how to worship and follow and be close to God, but how to live as a people together. And so when Habakkuk says the people are ignoring the law, there's injustice in the land, what he's saying is the people have walked away from the foundation of their society given to them by God Himself. Uh, It it was those first books of the Old Testament that gave instruction for how to handle disputes. It was those first books that gave instructions uh, for how to deal with those who are poor and who didn't have enough. It was there that they were told how to deal with crime and and injustice in their land. The people had completely walked away from this. And so the rule of the land was becoming uh, greed and selfishness and violence. Habakkuk calls out to God, and we see from these early verses that this isn't the first time he's done so. Just look at those first lines again where he says, How long, O Lord, must I cry out for help, and you don't listen? He had prayed this prayer before. He had asked God these things, and he was feeling ignored and shut out. Seeing the violence in the land. And he attributes that here. He says, your law, verse 4, the law is ineffective. He's saying the law of the Torah isn't working here. This instruction that you gave us that you said was good enough, you said it was what we needed, it doesn't work. It's being ignored. Society is breaking down. The wicked are restricting those who are righteous, the end of verse 4, and justice is perverted. Not only this, but with watching the Assyrians swoop in on the northern kingdom, Habakkuk knows that the southern kingdom sits at risk for all the nations around it, that in their lack of organization and leadership are just seething to come in and take them over and all the benefits of their land. This is how Habakkuk comes to God. And as I read this, I think, what a book that we need today. Now, make no mistake, uh, our country, our people, the church today is different. We do not live in a theocracy in which uh, we are trying to be not only uh, worshiping God through what the word contains, but also governing ourselves in some way. Uh, uh, Make no mistake, it is dangerous to try and equate uh, the nation in which we live or any other nation that you might live in in the future with being the people of God within the nation. That's dangerous. So that's not what I mean when I say we need this. But what I say when I say we need this is I feel a lot of these feelings about the time in which we live. It feels so often like the righteousness of God is separate from what is controlling our day and age. It feels so often, maybe you've felt this, like the wicked persist and the righteous suffer. It feels like violence is all around me said this before, but I think one of the, the ills of our modern age is that we are made aware almost instantly of almost every single evil thing that happens if we want to take it in. It is a non-stop onslaught of bad news if you seek it out, isn't it? You don't have to spend two seconds on your phone to sign something that went bad today. I feel so keenly aware of the brokenness of the world around me. I feel in some way connected to the cries of Habakkuk. Now, Habi was a prophet. And so what's cool about that is that when he spoke to God in this way, God spoke Directly back to him, and so to take you through kind of where we're going to go in this book, it's going to look like this. Okay, uh, this first section that we're going to go through today, we're going to work all the way through chapter two, verse five. It is a back and forth uh, with with two uh, two sections each of Habakkuk, and then God speaking back to him. Uh, then we're going to get to the next section next week, where we're going to see uh, God just give this whole list of woes about some evil things that are going on in the time, and then the last section uh, we're going to see this reflection as Habakkuk kind of responds um, in a prayer, almost a psalm, responding to what God has said to him. So in this section, we're seeing this back and forth. So we're going to now see uh, God's response in the second half here uh, of this section, verses 5 through 11, to Habakkuk's plea for God to hear him because of the evil in the land. So this is chapter 1, starting at verse 5, which says this. Look at the nations and observe. This is God speaking. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant land. They fly like eagles swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and they build siege and ramps to capture it. Then they swept by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty and strength is their God. God's response to Habakkuk is I am raising up the Chaldeans. Uh, These were a people uh, that the Israelites would have been well acquainted with. The people of the southern kingdom would have been right adjacent to the land that these people, also sometimes referred to as the Babylonians, because of the place that they occupied. They would have been uh, really keenly aware that they were chomping at the bit to come in and take over. What God tells Habakkuk in response to his, Are you listening? Are you seeing the injustice? is, Yes, I see the injustice. And like God had done in the past, He is going to bring judgment on His people, and they are going to suffer the consequences of the weakness that has become inherent in their way of life. Their lack of following, trusting and obeying God sets them up to be weak as a people, both uh, as a nation spiritually, as well as, because of their role as a theocracy, to be weak in terms of militarily. And so he says uh, this about the Chaldeans. Uh, he says, they are real scary, okay? He says they're really, really scary. And their morals come from within their own hearts. Right, and if, if you don't interpret that as terrifying, That is terrifying. He's saying they are governed by nothing more than their base level desires. What they want is what they seek. They are governed internally. They know no God other than their own evil desires. They're strong and their animals are strong, fast, and fierce. He says they do not respect authority. They don't worship any one true God. Their law and their religion is them and themselves. They are fierce, they are violent, they are evil. What God tells Habakkuk is he is going to intervene into this broken system that his people have created. But the way in which he's going to do it is with judgment through this military coming and taking the land from them. Habakkuk's response is not thrilled. Verse 12. He says this, are are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My, My rock, you destined them to punish us? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them up all with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. By, for by these things they portion their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net after continually slaughtering nations without mercy? Uh, Habakkuk says to God, are you kidding me? Habakkuk says to God, how dare you respond in this way? Um, Those first lines there, where he says, are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One, you will not die. Uh, Most commentators uh, say that this phrase in Hebrew, speaking to God in this way, was nearly a direct insult. Saying, God, aren't you above death? Aren't you outside of this world and in control of all things? Aren't you the one who calls us to be holy and righteous, and yet the way you are going to respond to the unrighteousness that I've brought before you is to let a people who are even worse come in and have victory? He says, I asked you to deal with wickedness, and you sent more. And then he admits, he says, these people are scary and they are going to kill us without any discrimination. Habakkuk asks God, do you really understand what you're doing? Do you really know who these people are? He says, these people, when they come in, it is like fishermen and an idiot fish in the sea who have no idea what's coming for them. So much so that these people, they worship the means by which they destroy people who see nothing coming before them. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk ends his contempt for God with saying this. I will stand by my guard post. Some translations say, I will sit in my watchtower. And I will station myself in this lookout tower, and I will see what he will say to me. And what should I reply about my complaint? Habakkuk says, I don't understand how this can be. I'm going to sit and wait for you to respond. I know this stuff is heavy. Um, and I think for a moment we just need to contend with the fact that um, we don't have a lot of familiarity with this kind of honesty with God. I don't think it fits within like our predisposed uh, understanding of what it means to be a follower of God. Um, I, I think if anything, uh, even in this room, like there's a bit of tension, like, can we talk this way? Like, can he, can, is he, he's wrong. Like, this is more respectful than that. Like, Brad's make a big deal out of this, okay? Habakkuk shows us an insight into what it means to be a follower of God who doesn't always understand what God's doing. And so in this moment, his response to seeing what God says his work is going to be is I don't understand this, and you know what? I don't accept it. That doesn't seem like who you are. That doesn't that doesn't stand for me as the test of what you said you were going to operate like. I just don't get it, God. Habakkuk is 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 brutally honest, and yet in his honesty, it is always veiled with an understanding of who God is. Uh, two notes, and these are uh, I couldn't directly pull him because it was was from a a, a reflection that that I watched Tim Keller give on this passage. Uh, He said, in Habakkuk's response, uh, you see two things. You see an acknowledgement of who God is that respects God for who he is. Even as Habakkuk calls God out and says, "Uh, aren't you the one who would never die? Aren't you the righteous above all else? He acknowledges who God is. And then secondly, there is never a sign that he in any way is thinking about ceasing to follow or listen to what God is. There's no option in his mind of like, forget it, God, never mind. I'll worship the God that the Chaldeans worship. There's no uh, category that that he has because he is a prophet in direct communication with God. He is fully aware in this moment of God's power, might, and control. There's nothing to walk away from. He knows that what God says will be. God in his graciousness uh, responds to Habakkuk, and and this is what he says, chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Backic records, the Lord answered me. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like sheol, and death is never and like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the people for himself. God's response to Habakkuk is, this is not it. God's response to Habakkuk is, this is going to happen, but this is not the end. Now, there's two ways that I receive this. One, um, I think, is, is the unrighteous part of me that is frustrated. That thinks, well, well, yeah, God, I know this isn't the end. I know you have control over all things, but for me, this might be the end, right? For me, this might be the literal death of me if I'm in his shoes. On the other hand, though, the voice of God calling out the fact that his sovereignty extends way beyond the moments in which I can see and partake in is like a shock, like a cold glass of water splashed in your face to give you a, a, a monicum of perspective of how God sees the world in front of us. God says this is not it. He says this do not believe that the immediate future defines eternity. Let me read those words again. He says, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it. Verse three for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies by the end, and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. God's instructions to Habakkuk are that things are going to happen in his midst that will be hard to accept, but they are not the ultimate end. God's sovereign justice is unstoppable he will ultimately make all the wrongs right. This was his promise to the people of Israel. This was his promise laid out before him. This is his promise to you and I, that ultimately God's justice will reign supreme, even though that in our midst, we will both experience and see manifestations of injustice constantly. God's words to Habakkuk are this. He says, those who trust in their present victories are like drunks. He says, with messed up, insatiable desires and implicit in their drunkenness, they're celebrating, though they perceive the moment completely incorrectly, it is coming a fall. He says, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. His enlarged appetite is like Sheol, or like this is their way of describing like what they thought of as hell, like an ever-growing pit of despair. It's like death that's never satisfied, it never ceases. Though the Chaldeans will gather the nations to himself and collect peoples for himself, ultimately God reminds Habakkuk that he is in control. Now that's where we're going to stop for this week, it, and there's a bit of unsettledness in that, isn't there? We can't close this story in one week. We need to spend uh, the rest of the time in these other two chapters. But, but as we pause here for a moment, in kind of the tension that exists in our lack of satisfaction, I want I want us just to think about uh, three things. Here's the first: that God has provided a safe place to bring our brutally honest hurt doubt, and pain. Uh, if I had to list like three things that God has been teaching me um, over the course of the past three or four years, uh, at least in the top two of that list would be this, uh, that, that we need to feel and process our emotions. Um, if you're like a fan of the Enneagram, uh, my Enneagram is like a seven plus an eight. Eight. Okay? Um, so it's like if you're going to score it like out of 100, I'm like 100 on the 7 and like a 97 on the 8. So uh, to describe what that means for you in simple terms, it's that like I like nothing else more than to be happy and to have everyone else be around me happy and then also I have the way uh, of a dictator who wants to make that happen for you and is going to tell you what to do. Okay? Like these are, these are the extremes of who I am. I would really like us all to be happy and you're coming with me. Okay? So if you thought you weren't coming to food trucks, I will see you in the parking lot, okay? You're going to have a french fry and you're going to like it, okay? You tweet that. Because of this, um, I have an allergy to feeling bad. Because I just really want to feel good. And I think we all want that, but I think in a unique way, this desire to like seize every moment, uh, to to be happy, to be full of joy, to spread that to those around me, makes me really resistant to reflect on things that are hard and to really think them through. Habakkuk does something here that I think is pretty uncomfortable uh, to most of us that that maybe uh, are, are religious at all. He's honest before God. He uses God like a trusted friend and counselor. He comes before him and he does what I think takes hundreds of hours to learn to do, is he says what he really feels and he feels it in that moment. He comes before God and says, this is what I feel. And it is raw and it is nasty and he's saying, I don't trust you. This is broken and I don't get how you can be you and this to exist. In this, I think Habakkuk teaches us something that we all desperately need. We must process our emotion. We have to talk about, think about, share what we feel. And that's good in a whole a lot of different spaces. But God is one of those places that is safe for you to come with the rawness of your emotion and to bring to God uh, the truth of what you feel. Because uh, here's a revelatory thing. He's not surprised by it. Like, when you're really ticked off at God and then you come before God and you're like, Oh Lord, my Father who I know is good. And the back of your mind's like, but I don't feel like you are. Um, Either you don't believe correctly about God and you think you can hide that from him. Or you are missing out on what it might feel like to have a God who deeply loves you and yet knows the very core of who you are and loves you still. God provides a safe place to bring our brutally honest hurt, doubt, and pain. Second this. God's all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent nature offer us help in trusting him even when we can't see the way out of our circumstance. Habakkuk believes that God is in charge. And out of that belief that God is in control of all things, right? He is powerful over all things. Uh, that, that word omnipresent, He is everywhere. Out of that belief in who God is, inherent in, in His very nature, He then expects Him to fulfill the promises that He's made. And, and that's why, even in that angry insult, there is this veiled praise of who God is, saying, You won't die, you are eternal. Habakkuk approaches God like an expectant child who may not be happy with what God is doing in that moment, but recognizes who God is and expects him to provide the way that he said he would provide. I was thinking about this last night. Um, We were kind of wrapping up the evening and our kids know we're doing this food truck thing after and and my daughter, uh, who's 11, says to me like, oh, so dad, are you going to like just each give us a set amount of money and then we'll go wherever we want to go for the food trucks, Right? And I was like, uh, we'll see how it goes, right? Like But I thought, like, man, like my daughter knows that when we do something that we provide for them. That there is no question of like whether or not we're gonna be like, Oh, you didn't bring your debit card, Lucy? Like, like she knows that like if we go out to lunch, buy them lunch because they're kids. This is how Habakkuk I think approaches God. He's an expectant child. He says, God, you're my father. What the heck? You said you were going to provide for me. You said you were going to always be there for you. You said you were going to listen to me, and I don't feel like you hear." here. And in this, Habakkuk, in his even angry, indignant prayer, I think starts to already reflect on who God is. I think this is one of the clearest ways that God offers comfort to us in our prayers when we're honest before God, is that we, as we start to state back to God who God is, God starts to remind us who he is in our hearts. And, and in that moment where I go from saying, God, you know everything and you have all the power, how could you do this? There's this little part of me that goes, God knows everything and he has all the power. That as I reflect what might for me start as negative emotion, God is supernaturally able to remind me, even in that emotion, of what is actually true. God's all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresence offer us help in trusting him, even when we can't see our way out of what we're going through. Uh, Lastly, our hope is ultimately in the future. Parts of that that might even be outside of our mortal lives. Our hope is not in a utopia created in the midst of our country. And even for Israel and Judah, which God had had promised them a place in the land, had promised them a future in, in a physical place in time, even for them, their ultimate hope wasn't in whether or not God in that moment gave them the piece of the land in the way that they wanted it at the time that they wanted it. Their hope, our hope, was not in some sort of earthly utopia created in our midst, but instead in a future that even might contain some pain along the way before ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, would end all pain and suffering. It is easy to look at the world and see those who thrive despite obvious rejection of God and think they're kind of winning. It's easy to become jealous of them. I'd say it's really normal to become discouraged when our prayers feel unanswered and it feels like unrighteousness and lawlessness thrive all around us. But God's final response to Habakkuk in this passage today reminds us that even when everything seems dark, even when we are on the precipice of suffering, that we have hope in God's promises which will ultimately be made true in the future. And that can be, in the moment, a bitter pill to swallow. Because we want to actualize that happy feeling now. But ultimately, we have been given a promise that is not containable in this present world in which we live. That it must, in order to satisfy you, be beyond it that you were created for greater desires. You were created to want a peace and an eternity and justice that this world in its present state cannot contain. You were created to want the redeemed world which could only come through Jesus, who has given us a taste of it who has provided us with an understanding of how his blood would cover the sins of those who sinned against God, who has provided with us a connection to him, understanding that both through our presence here in his body in the local church, that we get to to feel what it's like to live someday in this kingdom that's going to come. But they are just veiled expressions of something that we crave for, and that is an ultimate reality when Jesus is going to come back. And I think when Habakkuk writes these last words or records what God has said, uh, speaking of this future that is to come, I'll read it for you again. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Habakkuk says, God, I... Don't like what you're about to do, but I'm going to sit and wait and watch. And God says, yeah, the promises that I have for you, they may delay. They might feel like they're late. Wait and watch. You Pray with me. God, it is a trustworthy prayer to pray to you to appear. To say to you, how long, O oh Lord, will pain, suffering, and wickedness continue? But God, w- would you give us the strength to trust? God, through, through your Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of your presence given to us through the work of Jesus, would you remind us, Lord, would you fill us with faith that we might be willing to wait? Even in times where it feels like we just can't, where it's too much for us. God, would you make us people who are honest to come before you, who rest in who you are, and who look forward to the future that you have promised? And we pray, Lord. Amen.